You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters, bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Well, hello there and welcome to this week's episode of The Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. The Press Zone, of course, is a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. So if you're not familiar with them, be sure to go check them out and, and all of their podcasts. If that's how you found us, well, we're welcome. We're glad to have you here. Uh, we're also sponsored by the fine folks over at DraftKings and uh, NFL Conference Games coming up this weekend. Uh, DraftKings has a special incentive just for uh, the conference play this weekend. Stay tuned in a little bit for that. But first, uh, wow, what uh, what a football weekend though! I know we're going to talk hockey, but my goodness. Well, let me say hello and introduce us first. Uh, <laughs> my name is Amy Johnson. I'm your host and the lead correspondent here at AHL Reporting. You heard from him already. They know who I he's am. He's excited to get in here. Uh, he's uh, my wonderful co-host, the president, founder, and editor-in-chief here at Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. Um, my goodness, yes. Um, every single game this weekend in divisional play was a complete circus. <laughs> And a quarterback <laughs> battle for the absolute ages, um, Kansas City Buffalo. I'm, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for uh, Josh Buffalo Allen. and yeah. and Josh Allen yeah. and the Bills fans. Um, yeah, this that was that was that was a tough way to lose. Wanted a uh, I wanted a Bills Rams Super Bowl. That's what I was mm-hmm. pulling. That's mm-hmm. what, pulling no. for a Bills Rams Super Bowl. Uh, I am happy for the Bills that they managed to, and their fans, as you say, uh, they actually had some things to get excited about this year. Um, and I think with Josh Allen uh, QBing, I think I think they could get there again next year. Uh, have to say, couldn't be more pleased to see Tom Brady not advance. <laughs> Brady's done. Uh, Aaron Rodgers done. The Cheeseheads are done. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Pulling out all the punches today. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm a Vikings fan. I know, I know, I know. Um, Yeah, it was an exciting weekend uh, for for the NFL for sure. I think think the conference games are going to be pretty fun as well. I happen to know that this episode of the podcast is going to be pretty fun as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, Episode 241, we have not one, but two special guests joining us today for exclusive interviews. Well, um, one's not really a special guest. He's he's well, one he of our team. A, he's he he's, he's a regular. He's you know. But we still consider him a special guest. He's special. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in our first segment, uh, 
special guest and contributor here at Rocket Sports Media, which we are so proud to be able to add that to his description uh, this this season. Uh, Patrick Williams will be back with us for uh, today for a new edition of the AHL Hot Stove. We've got some world record-setting things that happened in the AHL this weekend that he's going to join us to talk about today. It's pretty fun and pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want to miss that. And then in our second segment, none other than TSN play-by-play broadcaster for the Montreal Canadiens, Dan Robertson, is back on the show with us. Uh, We talked to him preseason, previewing the Habs for the year. Have a feeling uh, our interview with Dan this time around is going to sound a little bit differently as we check in with him uh, mid-season and and get his thoughts on kind of the state of the team and uh, the recent hiring of Kent Hughes and the event that took place to announce him. So there's a lot of really fun stuff coming up on the show today. Lots of general managing going on in, in the National Hockey League right about now. Yeah. We have an assistant, brand new assistant GM in Vancouver, a brand new general manager with the Montreal Canadiens and uh, Vancouver's supposed to uh, be announcing their general manager soon. And we know Anaheim's looking for one, Chicago as well. Um, once all the general managing gets gets done, maybe we can start having some trades to talk about. That would be fun. That'd that would, be lots of fun. That would definitely be a lot of fun. Sometimes, Rick, uh, there's so much fun thing. There's so many fun things that are happening in the AHL and happy news and fun news that we can't wait until later in the show to get to it. And so, voila, Patrick Williams is joining us in the first segment this week for uh, the latest edition of the AHL Hot Stove. Of course, Patrick Williams is the AHL contributor at NHL.com and also uh, a contributor at the AHL and a team member here at Rocket Sports Media. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Uh, Great to talk to you again today. Great to be back, uh, as always. Well, um... And here bringing fun new Mr. Fun Guy today. You, yes. Mr. Fun. <laughs> we call him the guy. AHL guru, but also Mr. Mr. Fun, fun, fun guy. guy. Yeah. That's, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, it was a bit of uh, fun for you this weekend in Hershey. New world record set. Um, you know, the Teddy Bear Toss is a is a fond event for most AHL franchises. Um Hershey does it like none other, and once again this year they set a new world record, uh, none other than Axel Janssen Fjallby, the guy with the best flow in the in the American League, uh, <laughs> uh, triggering the avalanche of uh, stuffed animals. Uh, you were there in Hershey mm-hmm. for this. Can you just tell us what happened? Tell us all about this new world record and and what it was like to be in the building. Well, yeah, it's an interesting event because there's always sort of like this underlying uh, tension or anxiety uh, on the part of the, the, the home team that we actually have to score a goal here to make this whole thing <laughs> kind of work. Now, there is a plan where if they don't score and they're shut out uh, at the end of the game, they would toss them on the ice. But, you know, obviously, I don't think that would have the same sort of impact. And then, you know, they're going up against a uh, really – quality team in Hartford, albeit one that was a little bit shorthanded. And uh, Keith Kincaid, who's, you know, ah. one of the top goalies in the league. Someone uh, he shut out Laval. quite well. Um, <laughs> right. uh, he, he's been on a roll lately. And uh, so, yeah, but six minutes in, they get their power play. Uh, and uh, Janssen Fjallby just ripped it uh, high glove side, uh, you know, past Kincaid. And, 
I, I swear, like the goal light had barely gone on, and you know, <laughs> I seemed like it was already started to be covered <laughs> with bears. And I'd say it went for a good solid five minutes. You're, you're like, wow, how do you get these many bears in the building? You know, like <laughs> two thousand bears. I mean, uh, you know, you did some quick math. It was an average of four point nine eight bears per person. <laughs> My goodness. Some of them were like, they weren't like the little small teddy bears. They were like the big ones that like you would win at a carnival. Well, that's Rick, you saw some pictures in one of them. Yeah, there was, there was bears that were bigger than people. Uh, (laughs) How are you people bringing this all in? And uh, how are you throwing it down to the ice from the upper deck? But uh, they managed to do it. And and not only bears, there was, there was a giraffe, there was lots of monkeys, there was all kinds of uh, uh, stuffed animals. Yeah, it was a whole uh, cavalcade of uh, various uh, stuffed paraphernalia. uh, (laughs) Yeah, so it was, it's interesting to watch like in person to just see this, this, you know, avalanche of stuffed animals just seemingly never ending. And then to watch the cleanup is actually as you know, as interesting as a cleanup can be. Um, but that had to, to take some time. time. Yeah, it was, I'd say a good solid 45 minutes. Wow. At least. Um, I know both teams uh, went back to their dressing rooms. Uh, Hartford went back right away. Hershey, the players were out there sort of half cleaning up, half <laughs> diving around. We saw Zach Bucali taking full advantage of that. We saw. <laughs> It's also like interesting to watch, like you know, like guys who just played in the NHL, you know, within the last couple of days or a week, or guys who are first round picks and they're jumping into teddy bear piles. <laughs> so, just like this, like this sort of um, disconnect, right? You know, because yeah. you know everything's so serious, and then you know, <laughs> you see these guys that are, you know, twenty, you know, to twenty five year old uh, age range. Uh, suddenly, suddenly, they're six. Six years old again, right? And <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of fascinating to watch, like, the whole little uh, cleanup procedure that the Bears have kind of perfected through the years. This is their 20th one that they've done. Uh, so they have it almost down to a science. And uh, this whole sort of army of volunteers descends on the ice and uh, had it wrapped up in, yeah, about 45 minutes, which, you know, you start doing the math of that, that's like over a 1,000 Bears per minute cleanup uh Pretty impressive, right? Like, you know, I mean, because not not only do you have to sort of gather them up, you bag them up and, uh, you know, carry them off the ice. And um, I was told that they filled, this was as of late Saturday night, two semis worth of bears plus two equipment trucks worth (laughs) and that they were looking into needing a third semi, Um, which I guess if you have 52,000 bears, especially of that size, I guess it made sense, but. Somebody had to do the math on that, I guess. Like, you know, the, 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 the was it the cubic volume of uh, bears in relation to the, <laughs> the size of the capacity of the semi. So, uh, apparently, I mean, this is apparently a, um, from what I've been told, uh, a month long planning uh, uh, event. Uh, pretty much right when the schedule comes out in the summertime in July, um, they get right down to work, circle the dates that they're thinking of. And, uh, it worked out well this year that uh, they, they pushed it back a little bit. Uh, so they they typically would have it in December uh, leading into the holidays. Uh, but I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but uh, uh, they, they pushed it you know back uh, this season to January. So that kind of benefited them. You know, they missed the whole Omicron uh, mm-hmm. uh, outbreak, uh, you know, because 
you know, there's a whole, like I said, a whole long uh, planning event. Uh, they, they bring in volunteers from everywhere and uh, 25 different uh, charities around uh, central Pennsylvania uh, receive the bears. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a massive undertaking. Uh, you know, it's not just sort of just, you know, bring bears and everyone throw them on the ice and that's that. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole, <laughs> Uh, another realm of it uh, beyond, you know, just that. So uh, they really get the word out too. Like, you know, uh, the fans obviously showed up prepared and um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is Hershey, right? Like, so typical Hershey bears that they do everything kind of, <laughs> um, you know, you know, to, you know, over the top, all 10, right over the top. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, whether it's on the ice, you know, every year they're a contending team every year, they're, one or two in attendance uh and you've been into that building it's essentially it's just a scaled down nhl building uh so um yeah they they do it up uh, first class all the way and uh you know like you said a lot of other teams around hockey do it but uh they kind of yeah take it to a whole nother um you know standard sure uh, obviously like it gives them a ton of publicity so that's good for the team and then you know certainly it's just good you know in terms of a charitable sense um you know what it can do um you know especially you know some of these charities i was was talking to some front office people like some of these charities have really you know been under the gun for the last year or two i mean obviously with all the the pandemic related upheaval that has cut back on a lot of uh, donations. So um, any anything they can get in terms of help, uh, I think is very much appreciated uh, for these charities. Uh, it all goes to you know, kids in and around the central Pennsylvania area, apparently. So, um, yeah, it's a really cool event. Uh, um, it's one of those things you kind of have to be there to see it, to really sort of uh, get a sense of what it's like. But um, it's... Uh, it's pretty cool. And I think the other thing that I like about it is just how even the visiting team goes with the flow, right? Like, you know, um, even though Hartford was like, we're out of here as soon as it happened. Yeah. I was talking to some of the people with the Wolfpack after the game and like, they're, you know, normally, you know, how, you know, hockey can be and, you know, very regimented, very, um, routine oriented. And you have a game interrupted for almost an hour. Um, and yet they just went with the flow. They were like, hey, you know, it's just uh, the way it is. And uh, we're happy to be here and uh, happy to see, you know, a nice event. And uh, whatever sort of interruption there is, is we'll deal with it. And th- this was after they had lost 5 nothing. So uh, everyone, I think, kind of really approaches it with a good, uh, good outlook. And, um, yeah, it's a really neat event. And uh, I guess, I mean, the challenge now for the Bears is uh, – they have to keep kind of pushing this uh, <laughs> this bar higher, uh, fifty two thousand now, and I don't know. I mean, they were at forty five thousand in nineteen in twenty nineteen. So uh, you know. <laughs> so the official number was the building. So yeah. You know, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> at some point, you have to sort of reach a limit, but uh, it seems like they keep uh, uh, being able to find uh, a new standard each year. So fifty two thousand three hundred forty one is the official count. So that does set a new world record. Uh, Rick, we know they, they, they kind of have this, uh, this gentleman's battle back and forth between uh, themselves and the, the Calgary Hitmen and the WHL. They kind of try to outdo each other. Well, it's kind of a, again, this is uniquely um, non 
NHL event. You you don't you wouldn't see this in the NHL stopping the yeah. game. And of course, every you know, fans are discouraged from throwing anything on the ice. Um, well, that's true. <laughs> other than the occasional octopus, but um, the, the no the in junior hockey, yeah, Calgary Hitmen. Um, I think. When they were in the Saddle Dome, they got their number up to around 30,000 or thereabouts. Um, I always yeah. remember Pavel Padadkin yeah. um, when he was with the Hitman, eventually came to Lehigh Valley, but uh, how much he enjoyed that experience. It was all new for him, but how much he just really embraced it. The hockey players do embrace it. The, they do. Uh, the, you know, it's it's great for uh, the, the players to show a different side and show they're involved and... and uh, uh, and as you said, it's it's wonderful for the the communities and the charities um, who've you know in in Hershey they've they've had to uh, they they have all this pent up <laughs> energy because uh, they haven't been able to do it the last two years. So uh, we're able to do it this year, and this goes back to uh, I think it was the Kamloops Blazers that were originally credited with starting this idea. Uh, but it's just spread uh, throughout junior hockey and college hockey and, and the AHL and the ECHL as well. Uh, and just a absolutely wonderful event. And we should say that, it, yeah, you said you have to kind of be there to experience it. Mm-hmm. This is um, it, tossing a bear, uh, especially from uh, some of the seats in the back. This is a, a two or three step process in what? some cases because <laughs> the bears start raining down and, and folks can't get them all the way down. No. So you get... Bears landing on people's heads and they have to relay them over the glass. Well, it's like the unspoken agreement that if you sit in the lower bowl, you're going to get pelted and yes. you need to yes. continue the the flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a chain chain event that happens to get the bears actually on the ice. When I I always I always enjoy looking for the um the escapees that are either hung up on the glass and they're just peering over and they can't they can't quite make it or the ones that people forget that they can't throw them from behind the netting at, at behind right. the goals. And, and then you've got hockey players with sticks and whatnot, trying to dislodge <laughs> <laughs> trapped stuffed animals. It's, it's really, it's all around hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh And then the funny thing was uh, the third period, uh, Janssen Fjallby uh, finished the hat trick. So Perfect. he figured kind of a, a oh, another, wow. Another delayed game. Um, so you get the hats. Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of arms got a pretty good uh, workout. Uh, <laughs> well, that uh, is very fun. That is that's so, very fun, and we're glad that you were able to be there for it. Uh, we're hoping at some point, uh, once all this pandemic nonsense is done, that we'll circle Hershey. We've we've been in the building for uh, for Rocket Sports for other teams, uh, teddy bear mm-hmm. tosses, but we'll have to get the. Uh, all, all three of us in Hershey one of these years for their... And we dogs. should say that we've been in the building when uh, they wait till the intermission and they and then say 3-2-1 to throw the bears. It's, that, it's, it doesn't work. The, the teams who are doing that, don't. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> it's so much more fun when it's done after a goal, uh, after a home goal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that was just, yeah, that was the cool thing because like, you know, I think there was a legitimate like uh, concern that like, Hey, we're going up against a good team here. Like this isn't, you know, a team that we're just going to sort of walk over. I mean, yeah. Well, that's it adds to the fan and even the media yeah. excitement when you're watching a game and and if it's if it's a teddy bear toss night and you're getting into like 
late in the second or even early in the third and they haven't scored yet, you can feel yeah. the fans getting like really like shoot, shoot, shoot. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and with the players too. At some yeah. point they 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 don't care the outcome. They they want to trigger that toss. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, yeah, there's like this kind of this big competition, uh, you, right. know, you know, who's gonna players, do it? Like, who's gonna do it, right? So like yeah, guys shooting from everywhere and um <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really neat how they do it, uh, and I just think yeah, it just comes back to Hershey, just how you know uh, they just they go all out in everything they do. I mean, every year, right? When's the last time Hershey had a really bad team, right? I mean, yeah, uh, they, they've missed the playoffs twice since they affiliated with Washington back in t- uh, 2005. Uh, they've won more cups uh, than they've missed playoffs. You know, so think of it that way, and. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's really neat just how, um, the effort they put into it. And, uh, and you know, you know how, you know, front offices are in the AHL, like they're generally pretty short staffed in the best of times. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. certainly uh, things aren't getting any easier now during the, uh, uh, COVID uh, era. Uh, so for them to take this, this, this work on is it's, a, it's a lot, uh, just for, you know, and, uh, see them make it, uh, pull it off, and uh, make it kind of a bigger event each year. And you know, you wish that every team could ha- kind of have its own signature event, uh, you know, whatever it might be, just to uh, generate some fan excitement. Uh, uh, but uh, Hershey has really perfected it, and it's really cool to see. I hope you guys uh, can definitely be out there uh, next year. Um, we could do an uh, AHL hot stove all together live in person in the midst of the 45 minute cleanup. It's just a great, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a great, great building. Uh, we'll, we'll bring bears too. Cause you can, you can probably re- reach the ice from the, the press box, a great sight lines from there. Uh, one yeah. of our favorite buildings to go into and, oh, and, yeah. and the fans too. I mean, it's, it's one of the few places in the AHL where the fans are probably more connected to their AHL team than their NHL team. And, and uh, sure. it's, it's a really nice uh, community team. It, oh, yeah. It yeah. is. Well, speaking of buildings um, and, and excitement around teams, just want to shift gears for, for a minute. Um, we're reminded today on social media that uh, there is excitement building for a new franchise that's coming into the AHL next fall. Uh, the Seattle Kraken's AHL affiliate will be the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, we spoke about them in depth, you know, when they were when the team was first announced, and then the name of the team and the branding and the logo and so forth. But today they unveiled their jerseys. Uh, which I think look really sharp. We we talked about how much we we all loved their logo when that was un- unveiled. Uh, I think the jerseys are look really sharp, both home and away. Um, so Patrick, I guess first off, like what's what's new with Coachella Valley is is uh, as Rick we were talking before we started recording. As Rick put it, is the arena on track uh, for everything to get started in the fall? The arena is, in fact, on track from what I've been told. Um, it's it's quite a ways already uh, under construction. Uh, you know, and there's actual visible, like, foundation framework. Uh, you know, this lower bowl there has uh, kind of been, uh, for the most part, uh, been, uh, put in. And uh, it's amazing. It only, they broke ground uh, June 2nd uh, of last year. So uh, that building's going up quickly. Uh, it's going to be a 11,000-seat uh, building. Over $250 million, which uh, by my count is the most 
expensive building in AHL history, like, you know, strictly AHL building. Um, it's just remarkable. And I mean, it's the new Seattle Kraken affiliates. Uh, so today's jerseys definitely had like kind of that Seattle Kraken look to them and yet uh, kind of their own look as well, which I always sort of like. It's, it's sort of like what Laval has. You definitely know that they're Montreal Canadiens uh, affiliates and yet they still kind of branched off and made it their own identity as well. So um, they're right on track. Uh, you know, the hockey uh, operation is, is already up and running. Uh, they're in the midst of uh, bringing in more front office people on the business side. Uh, they have the jerseys now. Uh, the building's going up. Um, the marketing is, is, is getting underway as well. So, uh, yeah, hockey coming to the outskirts of uh, Palm Springs, California, which is uh, not Ooh. something I really ever anticipated, <laughs> especially for the American Hockey League. Uh, but uh, the times are changing, uh, that's for sure. Well, and you can tell by the, the palm tree on their shoulder flashes, the, mm-hmm. that special nine uh, frond uh, palm tree that, that represents each valley in the Coachella Valley. Uh, but uh, so that's that that anchors uh, them, themselves, uh, but also all of the connections with the colors and the beveled look of the uh, of the logo that the connections to uh, Seattle as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they look like on the ice. I think I think they're going to look great. Um, but Patrick, that's not uh, as as we were reminded when we were chatting earlier. Uh, the, their arena is not. Yes, they're going to be the new franchise coming to the American League next year, but their building won't be the only new building in the league next year. Correct? No, it's just kind of like the HL real estate. <laughs> Our, um, yeah, the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, which is. Uh, Maybe for people who don't know Henderson, uh, it's essentially the outskirts of Vegas, uh, about 15, 20 minutes uh, from there to the uh, to the strip there. Uh, and uh, brand new 6,000 seat arena um, kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, what's now the Coca-Cola Coliseum in Toronto in terms of the interior. Obviously, the exterior is a lot more modern than uh, Toronto, but um uh, I believe it's $84 million building. Uh, the, they, they're in the uh, midst right now of uh, getting kind of the fi- final permits and paperwork uh, squared away. Uh, and uh, I've been told they're about 95% uh, done with construction. Uh, mostly at this point, it's just kind of putting on the finishing touches in the interior. Uh, they're hosting a basketball tournament in March. And then the building is scheduled to open for hockey on April 2nd uh, for the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of remarkable to see buildings in uh, what is essentially Palm Springs and uh, Las Vegas, uh, that kind of money being thrown around um, and just uh, how modern these facilities are. I mean, these are uh, beautiful facilities by all, you know, all intents or all looks and indications. So, um, yeah, two, two, I think they're going to be two very popular destinations for players. Uh, you know, if you're being sent down, uh, not the worst place to be sent to, <laughs> um, you know, Palm Springs, like I can see a lot of players wanting to, uh, you know, get on the phone with their agent in the summer and say, Hey, try to get me a deal here. Because, <laughs> um, beautiful weather. I mean, I was in Palm Springs about two years ago, right after the 2020 all-star game. Um, and the amount of money out there in that area, I don't think it's any surprise, but wow, when you go there and you see it, you're, it's kind of, 
you're taking it back a little bit. Uh, you know, so I sort of did a little bit of a scouting trip there, uh, you, know, you know, back then. And um, since then, there's been a little bit of a upheaval because originally that building was supposed to be downtown Palm Springs. That fell through, so they went to the outskirts. And kind of a similar thing, like a suburban-type market, uh, going to be very uh, oriented towards kids and families and that 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 sort of model. So um, it should be it should be a great setup, both in uh, Henderson and uh, Coachella Valley. And uh, uh, looking forward to it. Definitely, I'm going to have to uh, put that on the calendar for next season. <laughs> for sure. And now, and does the San Jose Barracuda also have a new arena coming? Yes, San Jose Barracuda. Yes, uh, they're going to be in. Uh, they're kind of building an, an addition uh, to the practice facility that they share with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, it's about, I think, ten minutes or so from SAP Center, uh, where both teams play right now. Um, and it's probably, I think, a great setup for uh, for the Barracuda because right now um, they play in that NHL building, and uh, you're just trying to fill seats in a. Uh, I think it's 17,000 seat facility. It's just, that's tough to do. So there are 4,000 seats. It's going to be really intimate, uh, all connected to the practice facility as well. Uh, so kind of a one, one stop shop for the team. Um, it'll be 4,000 seats. Uh, they're going to open the building this right now, as last I've been told, it was uh, scheduled to open in August uh, of this year. And then uh, the following month, uh, September, they'll have uh, that 16, or the six-team uh, rookie tournament among the, the NHL clubs that uh, the Barracuda will host. So uh, kind of be a good way to, to do a little bit of a, a trial run before the, the full AHL season starts, we think, hopefully in uh, October of uh, 2022, <laughs> um, pandemic willing. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of money. I mean, this is not the AHL of uh, maybe 10 years ago or so. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of competition now, and I think that's good for the league. That uh, Marcus, now you really have to, you have to perform well, and you have to really kind of uh, keep your standards high, um, because there are a lot of uh, other markets out there that are just chomping at the bit uh, for a team, and uh, you know, and have a lot to offer. Uh, so you know, sort of, I think you know, this really helps the league to hit a new standard and. Um, it'll also be good, I think, to have Coachella Valley in. Uh, it's one more team um, for San Diego and Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll be good to now officially be back to the one-to-one ratio uh, for NHL to AHL affiliations. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, things are moving along, um, and uh, it's really exciting to see. Rick, didn't you mention something at some point about a, a line item in the budget for the Rocket Sports Media Tour bus? <laughs> yeah, we kind of scooped, uh, scoped one out, didn't we? Yeah, a little charter, yeah. little charter bus action, and uh, the AHL hot stove can can just kind of hit the road. Around. Yeah, uh, California dreaming. Uh, yeah, a little tour of. Uh, <laughs> I'd say February. Mm, maybe perfect. <laughs> well, uh, all of that is very exciting news. Um, I think next season is going to be is going to be very fun uh, in the American League. And uh, Patrick, we can't thank you enough for joining us again to bring us all of this insight and all of this. See, you are, you missed a fun guy today. Um, just all of this great information uh, and just uh, a ton of fun. And now you you. You didn't bring any of the teddy bears home with you from Hershey, did you? No. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even throw any. Um, I... <laughs> That's all right. Uh, That's all right. Um, well, we're glad that you got to experience that. We're, we're so glad that you were uh, able to join us 
today. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, of course, re- don't forget to look out for Patrick's next edition of his under review column on AHLReport.com. That'll be out next week on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, until then, Patrick, thanks so much for joining us and uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Well, it's always fun having Patrick Williams on the show. Uh, and Rick, I have to say, little jealous and I, I know i said i said this while he was here as well little jealous that he got to see that wreck that teddy oh, bear yeah. toss live uh, my favorite part of it is that um you know staff coaches players the little kid in all of them comes out because they all just want to jump in a pile of stuffed animals when you have that many of them they all just want to jump in a big pile of them yeah that's true <laughs> well, we've been to a few of these but uh that that was one for the ages right there it was and it's always great to have patrick uh joining us every other week for the ahl hot stove uh i mean he is just so laser focused on everything happening around the american hockey league and uh we are we're grateful to have him as part of the team enjoy talking with him it's always fun and interesting uh don't forget if you don't follow him on twitter be sure to do that at p williams ahl uh and of course uh keep an eye out for his next under review column here at the ahl report uh ahlreport.com um and uh yeah we look forward to having him back on the show again in two more weeks for more fun stuff from around the american league uh but First and next, as we promised at the top of the show, Dan Bro- uh, Dan Robertson, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Montreal Canadiens on TSN 690 Radio, is joining us coming up next. But first, uh, let's just hear from our sponsors over at DraftKings with a special incentive for NFL conference play this weekend. You are listening to The Press Zone right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media, an affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we've already had a great uh, AHL hot stove session with Patrick Williams. Uh, we've got Dan Robertson, uh, broadcaster for the Montreal Canadiens, coming up here in just a moment. But first, uh, once again, I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my co-host, Rick Stevens. 
Are you following us on Twitter? We really hope that you are. But in case you're not, be sure you're following at the AHL Report. That's where you'll find all of our great content, uh, including Patrick's under review column, uh, Maria Boabdo's weekly uh, AHL weekly column, as well as all of our game recaps for the Laval Rocket. Uh, You'll find full comprehensive recaps, statistics, video highlights, including post-game audio interviews uh, conducted by either myself or Chris G uh, after each Laval Rocket game. So AHL uh, at the AHL report on Twitter or at the press zone on Twitter to follow this podcast particularly. And as promised uh, here at the top of the show, uh, we have a very special guest joining us today. Dan Robertson rejoins us here on the Press Zone, play-by-play broadcaster for the Montreal Canadiens at TSN 690. Dan, thanks so much for being with us here again today. No problem at all. Um, I guess first and foremost, let's get to the the meat of what uh, really has been the biggest news in the past week for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the the search and the questions about who the next uh, general manager for this team will be finally uh, answered uh, last week when it was Kent Hughes who, who was announced. I just want to ask you first off uh, what your impressions are of Kent Hughes uh, getting this position coupled with uh, the way the Montreal Canadiens rolled out the welcome mat with a very different kind of event on ice uh, there in the Bell Center. Yeah, it was interesting to be back in the Bell Center and um, made me remember how much I miss calling games there. But, it, I mean, it looked good, and they, they did do something a little bit different and a little bit special, I suppose. And that was interesting uh, to see him. I'd never laid eyes on him before, and to be honest with you, I'd never heard his name prior to when the search started and his name got out there, but uh, it's obvious that he's accomplished a heck of a lot in the game. And you could almost feel that the way he spoke. He was very confident, I thought, and, and commanding in a good way. And I, I hesitate to buy into that too much. Uh, and it was almost universal. Anything you saw or heard was how impressive he was. And he was, and I think that's important, but he has a lot of work to do. He knows that. And uh, I think it's pretty fascinating that after years, well, always, they only had one GM, and now they still have one, but they have a, a Jeff Gorton to go along with uh, with Kent. So it'll be interesting to see how they mesh, and it'll take us a long time to find out how that works out, I guess, because, as I said, there is a lot of work to do. But it was uh, I thought it was well done uh, when they introduced him to everyone. You mentioned that he appeared uh, confident, and he and he certainly did. Um, and and there seemed to be a reoccurring theme throughout uh, that uh, questions being asked of of both uh, Kent and and Jeff Gordon, how they knew each other, uh, that they were good buddies, and and uh, uh, both Je- uh, Jeff Gordon tried to put an end to that with a bit of humor, saying, um, "No, they weren't best friends." Uh, but it got to the point where. Um, Kent Hughes jumped in and and said, "Listen, I got to set the record straight here." And it, it didn't do it in a a condescending way, um, but a little bit. I, I called it kind of scrappy, um, but just just kind of being firm uh, that uh, this wasn't a, a done deal from the beginning. There were some very good candidates, and and that he felt that he was a good candidate as well. I like the way he said that and how he interjected just to get his point across and. I don't know, sometimes in society we equate confidence with arrogance or maybe people see it as a negative. I thought it was good. I mean, mm-hmm. it, 
you can't go, I don't care what you do. Uh, anybody who's successful is confident. It doesn't matter the business. It doesn't matter the, the, the line of work. So, I mean, he believed in himself and, and that was sort of the feeling I got throughout and, and that's a good thing. So now they, I mean, immediately, obviously he went to Las Vegas to take a look at the Canadians and I would think he'd be pretty familiar with them anyway, just, just as a hockey junkie, as he called himself, but now he'll roll up his sleeves and, and really get to work and you know who knows what the first move of significance will be but I wouldn't think it would be anytime soon because they have to make sure that the, the next move is the right move well uh, the 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 product that greeted him last night in Las Vegas um, you know was uh, was one that of course at least the Canadians were able to uh, get a point out of it at least but uh, still unable yet this season to come up with back-to-back wins Um just want to talk to you a bit about kind of uh, it's it's been a few months since the last time we had you here on the show and so a lot has transpired between between then and now and and the state of the team where it's at now um one of the things that has been a bright spot at least in the last week since the Canadians have returned to play from their from their uh, temporary shutdown there uh is that the power play seems to have sprung back to life um what do you think was the the has been the spark to get that going again it's interesting. They went nine games without a power play goal just to show how bad it's been all year. That's just a sample size, but it's been horrible. And then they, they have uh, one power play goal in each of the four games. And I'm, I'm not sure if there's a common denominator uh, in those four goals, but even in the, the power plays where they didn't score and they look pretty good, uh, I think that it's been simplified where they've had guys go into the net. Ryan Paling tipped one in. It's his first uh, NHL power play point. And He's been deployed on the power play in the second unit mainly, I guess, but he goes to the front of the goal, and I think that's good. I mean, it's a, a season where you try things at this point because it's a lost season, so I'm sure Ryan is hoping to add that wrinkle to his game, and I think that in the off season he'll obviously try to get stronger like everyone does, and he'll put on some weight and uh, probably practice tipping pucks and, and look at a lot of video to see how he can get better in front of the net, but even Tyler Toffoli against Vegas, he was right at the side of the goal. So neither of those goals were pretty, but they don't have to be. I mean, they mixed in a nice one that Christian Dvorak scored off some tic-tac-toe passing. That's not always going to be there, but uh, you need to have some good effort around the puck. And I, I guess as I, as I talk about it and think about it, it's also been better puck retrieval for the most part. Um, I think we forget sometimes how important that is. We look at uh, power play setups and alignments and, personnel and, and that's all worthwhile but I think the first thing you have to do is uh, work the penalty killers you have to get the puck and I think that's that's helped them and it, it just has shown it's uh, been a big part of the reason why they were able to, to get points in Dallas and in Vegas uh, that they were able to pick up a power play goal in those games someone who is expected to be part of of uh, contributing on the power play was Cole Caulfield that hasn't been the case Caulfield's been out uh, the last couple of games on COVID protocol, um, but it was in, I thought it was interesting uh, going back to Kent a bit uh, that Hughes mentioned two players uh, by name Suzuki and Caulfield that are obviously going to be part of the future of the club. Um, what are they going to have to do to get uh, Caulfield going? He, he he's been a shell of, of what we saw last year. What what in your mind? What's been the issue with Cole Caulfield? Well, first of all, I think it's important that he did what he did last year and that he showed that he fit in 
when he came up in the regular season and then played well in the playoffs. So that's a big deal. I, I don't know. It, so many times this year he's tried to maybe pull the puck from backhand to forehand and shoot, and it's rolled away from him. Uh, does that mean that he's squeezing the stick too tightly? And I'm not trying to read too much into it, but it really has happened a lot. Uh, the shot's not been there. So maybe it's a confidence thing. And I, I just think, I would think soon, and I've been thinking this for a while, and I'm not the only one, that when they get even a little bit healthier, and obviously he's out with, uh, with COVID right now, but that he goes back to Laval and stays there the rest of the year and maybe gets on a bit of a run. And this happens a lot, right, um, with young players, no matter how hyped they are, whether the hype is deserved or not. But they, this is a tough game to play at this level. And, I mean, there were some people saying he'll get 40 goals this year, he'll get 30 goals, 20 goals, whatever. I didn't really think about it, didn't put a number on it. I obviously didn't expect it to be one uh, at this mm-hmm. point, but it's probably between the years as much as anything. I think he's still going to be re- a really good goal scorer. So if they can work with him in Laval and, you know, just let him have some fun, which he says, you know, it's my favorite thing to do. We keep asking him about his state of mind and, and there's no reason not to believe him that he's still having fun. But when you have only one goal, it's uh, obviously it has to be bringing him down somewhat. A player who's not young and, and who's who's been uh, having some struggles. It's a real mystery about uh, Jeff Petrie this year and, uh, you talked to some folks in, in Edmonton, and they said that's kind of the Jeff Petrie we had here before he blossomed in M- Montreal. But he's really seemed to lose his way this season, uh, and that's going to be a, a challenge for uh, Jeff Gordon and, and Kent Hughes, I think. It is. It's hard to figure out what's going on with Petrie. I know, I mean, it's obvious to me that what happened last year and just how pressure packed the games were and how many games there were in a short time span. And, and Petrie said it himself that uh, he, he was talking about himself and other players too, that not having the time needed to recuperate has affected him. Uh, but then he had some time off and you thought, okay, he'll have some jump in his step uh, coming back. Well, he scored a goal, but really uh, he's still been struggling. The skating game isn't there. And I'm not saying he's lost his legs. I'm saying almost that, one thing I see is where in the past he's picked the, picked the right spot a lot of times to jump into holes and to follow up on the play or to, to drive the offense. And that's not there right now. So I think he's really battling it mentally. We keep waiting to see it. I, I don't think his game, I mean, he wasn't great in the playoffs last year. He was uh, dealing with that uh, dislocated finger. And that didn't help any. But I don't think his, anybody falls off that quickly, especially a guy who, now, the last few years, it's almost like even at his age, he hasn't gotten better every year, but he certainly hasn't declined. So I, I don't think uh, certainly that he's done, and not that anyone's suggesting that. But it is pretty curious, and it has to be concerning to him and to the Canadians to some extent, I would imagine. Kind of on the, the flip side of things, uh, one of the the fun stories to follow in terms of, of player performance this season has been uh, Alexander Romanov. Um, he's really, uh, physically, of course, making his presence known out there, but he's, he seems to be playing with so much confidence and, uh, in practically every game, uh, he's, he's contributing in one way or another. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on his progression this season? They sat him, uh, for a game against Detroit early in the season. He had struggled up until that point, And then he, 
got a chance to watch from afar and it helped him a little bit. I'm not saying that was the reason entirely for his turnaround, but Luke Richardson works with him a lot. I mean, as he should, he's the, the coach of the defenseman and he's a really good coach. I have a lot of time for, for Luke Richardson. So that's helped, but there's a certain spirit about Romanoff. I mean, he's the first on the ice every day of practice and there's a real childlike quality about him. I mean that the best way, like mm-hmm. he's having fun. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I don't know the guy, but just to, to be around him a little bit and know what he's like, he's, he's really full of life and he embraces um, the challenge of playing in the National Hockey League. So uh, I think the physical play too, it's really, it, it's been a calling card for him. Last night he ran over Colasar of uh, the Vegas and he's a big guy. I think he's listed around 230, just shoved him down. And that's just, you know, one of the many physical plays that we've seen from him. So He's getting a reputation. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that opposing players have to know when they go up his side that uh, he could really take you out. So, And he's also been pretty good with the puck. He simplified things, and they've been working on uh, on that with him a lot to just make this short, sure pass, and, and things will kind of grow from there. It'll be interesting, I think, over the time to see how his offensive game blossoms or to what extent. I don't think they're all that worried about it right now, but he's come as advertised. And really, if you look at players who've had good seasons for the Canadians, to me, he's, he's one of them on a very short list. Mm-hmm. Two, two phrases that you've mentioned uh, so far today, uh, talking about, uh, you know, of course, the Habs, this is, this is obviously a lost season for them. And also that this is a time to try new things. From your perspective, do you see, you know, and this is neither neither support nor criticism for Dom Ducharme. This is kind of just a bit of an, an assessment. Do you see as Ducharme as still trying to do the best he can to put a product out there that's going to at least get some wins going? Or do you think that he's embraced a bit of this? Uh, let's let's try to do some new things and allow for some development of some of the younger players if we can't get anything else out of this season? That's a good question, Amy. I mean, I look at the goaltending situation, and I know it's just it's just sort of happened where Jake Allen's been out for a couple of weeks, and we found out he'll be out another eight. And I thought what you're talking about, we could read into it a lot from this road trip because, really, the prospect and goal isn't Samuel Montembeau. It's Caden Primo. So how much playing time will he get? He struggled uh, in his first game on this road trip. I think he probably was a little bit tired. He wasn't far removed from coming back from COVID. And um, I'm really going to keep an eye on how they use him. For example, the next game is Colorado here on Saturday and in Montebos faced over a hundred shots in the last couple of games. So um, you know, going into the thin air and that sort of thing, he'll probably be tired, but I want to see a little bit more uh, Primo. Um, I think we talked about Ryan Paling briefly and, He's using him a little bit more and giving him an expanded role. But but Dom and the, and the rest of the players, as you guys know, they're not like the fans who say, okay, lose every game so we have the best chance at, at the top pick. That's not the way <laughs> coaches or athletes are wired. So I think what's, what's also interesting to me now that they have the GM in place and Jeff Gordon is there, how much input do they have? And I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that Dom would ever tell you that on the record. And so this does uh, does Hughes go to Dom and say, "Listen, I want to see Caden Primo in this number of games." Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I would think so, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not 
for Dom, he's trying to put his best foot forward, and he's also it's an audition for him again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's probably a mix in there somewhere of trying to to put your put your best team on the ice every night, but still you, you can't. I, I think it's you have to look at development uh, at this stage of the game, considering where they are in the standings. As we like to do, we like to check in with you as far as your broadcasts and and the restrictions and how that has played into it. And and uh, this has been a, a long road trip for the Canadians, and now they're coming. Uh, they're going to come home next week. Uh, um, you said it was nice to be back for uh, the Kent Hughes uh, um, um, announcement. Um, I guess it's going to be nice for you to get back in the broadcast booth as well. It will. It's, it has some major challenges. And uh, Gord Miller actually tweeted something maybe a week ago how he was saying it would be his first time calling games from studio in quite some time. And he made a good point. I mean, we all have challenges. And, and the ones that broadcasters have certainly don't rank high on, uh, on problems for people in the world. But it is, it is difficult. And mm-hmm. um, so the next games that we will do will be, gosh, I guess it's on the 27th here at the Bell Center. It'll be uh, in front of nobody. But um, that's okay. It's, you know, you, you, you try to figure some things out when you're watching on TV. There's plays happening uh, behind, just out of camera uh, focus and that sort of thing. And, uh, it's dif- more difficult to try to identify maybe players on teams that you don't see very much. Uh, those are all little things. And maybe I see that more than, you know, when I can't figure something out right away, as far as identifying someone, maybe I see that more than, than a listener does or that sort of thing. But, you know, it comes with its challenges, but I've watched and, and uh, watched some games actually. And, and, seen and heard people call games and I think they do a good job so uh, it's not impossible but it's certainly it's far from ideal we'll put it that way (laughs) well uh, we have as Rick says we we enjoy not only catching up with you to uh, to get your takes uh, on the Montreal Canadiens and your terrific insight but we also enjoy just catching up with Dan Robertson himself and uh, seeing how things are going with you as well and we always are so appreciative that you've uh, taken some time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the press zone today. Well, my pleasure. Anytime guys. Thank you for your interest. It's always good to check in with Dan Robertson, Rick. Love talking to Dan. <laughs> um, we always have a, a really good conversation whenever we bump into Dan or invite mm-hmm. him on the show. I, I should say though, uh, just because others are declaring this kind of thing, uh, Dan is not my best friend, and I think he would say the same about me, <laughs> although we have a great professional relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's 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 always great to get his insight, and, you know, it's, it's always an interesting thing, I, I think I can say for both of us, um, the perspective of a broadcaster is always very different from the media who cover a team, fans who cover a team. The broadcaster has a very different perspective. They see the game a different way. Um, and they have, of course, a very good established relationship with the coaches and the players. So it's always great to get Dan Robertson's insight. And let me just add to that, is different than a TV broadcaster. We know For the sure. broadcasters on Sportsnet, on on TSN, uh, they they pop in and out. Uh, they cover a, a variety of teams, uh, the analysts, and and you can tell uh, their 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 knowledge isn't isn't quite uh, quite that of of a Dan Robertson, a Sergio Mameso. They're the guys who travel with the team. 
typically, uh, not in a pandemic, uh, but uh, typically, and, and they're always around the team and have a, a, a lot more insight. Uh, and so that's why we're glad to have Dan on. Absolutely. So thanks so much to Dan. Uh, we look forward to hearing his next call uh, for a Montreal Canadiens game, and we look forward to having him back on the show again soon. Um, for all of you Laval Rocket fans, uh, they have had an extended layoff uh, this past week because of those two games against Belleville being postponed last weekend, but they will be back in game action this week. They hit the road flying to Texas for the first time in franchise history where they'll take on the Texas Stars Friday night and Saturday night. Uh, that's the AHL affiliate, of course, of the Dallas Stars. Uh, we will have full coverage of that at AHLReport.com and at the AHL report on Twitter of both of those games, uh, full in-game tweets and updates as the game happens. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a full comprehensive post-game recap. So be on the lookout for those. And, uh, Rick, this was a this was a great show with uh, lots of newer voices and different voices and additional voices that we got to bring to our listeners. And that's what we love to do here at the press. Zone. Absolutely. <laughs> so all of you enjoy the week, stay safe, stay warm, enjoy hockey this weekend. And we'll see you back here again next Tuesday for another great episode of the press zone right here on rocket sports media. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of the press zone on rocket sports radio. Visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.